0: Hey, Internet, you know what? Jesus Christ is significantly more glorious than modernism. Yes. Yes, he is. Hello, Christian Internet. Welcome to the Dystopia. It is good to be with you in this madness, especially since today is, is Easter Vigil. The day when our Lord lay resting in the grave. The Sabbath for man truly kept as it should be. Having died on the day which man fell, well, which symbolized, sorry, which man was created on, uh, so that uh, falling Samuel Luther thinks it happens like on the Sabbath day, I don't know about that, but what it does is it messes up time, history gets thrown askew, and so when Christ comes and dies on Friday, he's dying on the day of man's ought to be and yet were not, and he fulfills that Sabbath rest which is made for him, uh, not the other way around. It's made for him, and he comes out, well, well, tomorrow. Easter Vigil is when we gather at sundown at dusk this evening in order to remember that the way they used to keep time before Jesus did this in the Hebrew calendar was from evening until evening is your day. That means that Sunday starts tonight when the sun goes down. Uh, uh, And so Christians around the world, not all of them, but many of them will gather together outside of their congregations where there will be a fire or at the very least a candle, which will have symbolism pointing to. Christ, the risen Savior this year, and yes in my, in my congregation it will say twenty twenty one even though i'd rather say twenty twenty five but you know that 's the crazy coming out right there we 're going to you know we're going to meet we 're going to have the lit candle and we 're going to light our own candles it 's just like christmas Eve it 's so cool we 're going to light our own candles from the Christ candle, having been you know shown forth victorious over the grave, uh, enlivening our hearts with his holy Spirit, and follow that candle into the church, shouting that Christ is risen. That's Easter vigil, baby. It's it's a it's a fantastic service. If you can find one near you, I highly recommend going. Uh, I do not recommend breaking communion fellowship, but if you've got to go somewhere else to observe it, well, you, you know you might just want to do that because it is quite the thing. I did see an Easter vigil in Athens. Can you believe that? Oh man, what a life. Uh, In Athens, I was there over the Easter weekend and was able to observe their vigil. I finally gave up about 3 a.m., I think. It was, it was, it was amazing. It really was. But anyway. Um, so it's Easter Vigil because he is risen from the dead, and that means that you are paid for, which makes you immortal now. God is pretty aware of this, even if you're not, and he's not going to be long anyway. Now, this is good news, if you understand it, if you if you believe it. It's really good news. There is a, a, a ritual we do. We wash you to seal it, and then there's another ritual we do, or we eat this bread and wine, because he said to, because that feeds this faith with the meaning of those words, which we can talk about anytime. Yeah. And this is Christianity. This is what it means to be the church. Although although we've got some good questions about what does it mean to be the church? And if that's a question you've been asking in your head and your heart recently, well there's a good reason for that. It's because the doctrine of the church is a forgotten thing. I think I said this way back in Broken. It's the E-word, ecclesiology. No one wants to know what that means. And so, like like, yeah, yeah, church. What does it mean to be a church? Are we church? Where do you find a church? Do you even need the church? Why, are you watching church? Can you watch church on the internet? Uh, We won't answer all these questions, but we will talk about that a little bit as we move into your questions, Bible's answers, and probably plenty of my nonsense here on the Mad Christian, Saturday morning chill. You know my name or you wouldn't be here Haven't already found me. I hope, I hope, it means you're watching. It's like right there, right? Okay, so, uh, Jesus Christ is significantly more glorious than modernism. I have decreed, decreed a war Against modernism, for me, it's personal. You don't have to join me. You know, I can live in harmony with you, modern philistine. However, I, having abandoned modernism entirely and done the impossible, like like time lorded myself both to the past and the future, intellectually, spiritually. How does how does Jack Sparrow say it? It's really good. Uh, anyway, i i, I have <laughs> I have decided that we we who want to be Christians now, and as long as now is until Jesus comes back, we have to contend with the fact that modernism is a lie. The whole thing. The whole thing's a big, big, very clever, very good lie. And I, well, I'll talk more about that here in a moment when we talk about the unseen, right? I mean, it's, it, 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 the unseen world exists, and even the scientists know this now, and they can't understand it. you are still operating from the, the position of these people. like, well, We can see and understand everything. I mean, that's just, we're, modernism is a lie. It's a complete lie. And, and Jesus himself is so much more glorious than modernism. Here's what modernism is. Modernism is this in a summary. There's a new thing. That's modernism. That's it. That's the argument. Here we are. We're in the modern world. There's a new thing. Christians, stupid people now, right? Uh, unseen world doesn't exist. New thing, right? That's modernism. And if you can begin to chip away at this like, wicked little twisted mentality and pull it down into, say, the Proverbs of the Bible and the Psalms, perhaps some gospel reading that won't hurt you at all. If you can begin to challenge the lie with the reality that the earth that Jesus bled on was buried in and then came back out of is exactly the same? And so are we. And whatever this modern magic of electricity is, well, goodness gracious, it's end times for sure, right? Well, we knew that when he ascended. So, yeah, it's gotten different with signs to deceive even the elect as it were. What will they do when the tree is brown, he said. All these verses, all these verses that we don't pay attention to. And if we did, I think we might feel better because Jesus Christ is significantly more glorious than modernism. He knew what was going on. He knew what was coming. I actually have this random wiggy theory. Don't go take me to the bank on this one. I think Solomon knew what was coming. I think Solomon was so clever and so wise he foresaw almost everything, including the crucified Christ. And I think I have a text where I can I can say this out of the purpose. Anyway, leave that for another time. Imagine though. Like you're the guy who can like see that humans are just that bad. We're that bad that God can keep us going for that long and we never actually get better and we still burn the planet up. Wow. That's amazing. I I mean We can know it. Why couldn't he know it? And if he knew it, maybe he left us some instructions for how not to be idiots about it and make it happen faster. I don't know how the end of the world is going to pan out. I don't have like an epistemological philosophy on when Jesus is going to come back because he said no one's going to know the day or the hour. And I take him really seriously. I'm like, I think that should be the place we start. (laughs) I think we should probably not move off that place either as much as possible. However much it looks like the end of the world, it could be, it should be. Let's pray that it is, in fact. But then again... No one knows the day or the hour. So, you know, marrying, giving in marriage, buying, selling, trading, and then the flood comes. Well, if the floods fire and fire is the tree turning brown, I mean, I don't know. It just seems to me that living a life in harmony with the creation, built upon harmony with brotherhood, built upon the blood of Jesus Christ binding us together as people who know this earth is going to burn up eventually, it, it just seems to me that that can't hurt the chances of Earth ending sooner by some sort of man-made catastrophe, yeah? Now, I don't think Earth will actually end by man-made catastrophe. I don't, again, I don't know. Maybe God combines man-made catastrophe and his own divine in the final, I, I don't know. I, I, he, the no man knows the day or the hour. What I know is this, what I know is this, that the way that Christians lived before 1941 and the way that Christians lived before, before 1517 still works as christianity and we should hold on to that that's not to say that 1517 didn't remind us of something that if we had not been reminded of it we would have not had any christianity anymore however the idea is not to go back to 1517 is to stand here and see the lies that are here now and the lies that are here now are in a word diabolical you ever wonder who they're talking about when they talk about they you ever wonder about that? Who are they talking about when they talk about they? They did this. They figured this out. Do you know what they did? Did you hear about that thing they did? Like everyone's always saying they. It was like a really big realization to my poor little childhood brain, like this year. <laughs> like, oh, they isn't anybody. It's 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 different people and there's no real actual they out there who knows everything and I, I have to keep up with somehow. That's what I've been trying to do. Yikes. Anyway, but then, then, then it got worse and better at the same time when I realized, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. No, I was wrong. There is a they. When we say they figured this out, they did this, there's a they out there that, that indeed is moving things in directions and really glad to give us this, but not that. And as long as we trust them, we're all good. They be the demons if you're following my drift. Just put that in your like your filter. Next time you're like, yo, did you hear what they found out? Did you hear what they did? And be like, that's the demons trying to move humanity to worship itself into destruction. Wow, they are active these days. They're they're not hiding at all. They're all over the place. They just don't necessarily tell you they're there. Yeah, You gotta you got listen for the words. You gotta listen for the lies. I, I believe that the torment of demons does not always need to inhabit a person to cause that person to speak demonic things, right? Anything that is a lie effectively is demonic. And a lie repeated over and over so that it becomes the truth and no one else can speak without speaking it, that's definitely demonic, right? that That's the definition of demonism and also tied to babble a little bit. But uh, let's leave that for another time. Why is it good news that they are the demons? Because it means that your dystopia makes sense now. <laughs> It completely makes sense. In fact, you live in an end-time scenario where the world has been overtaken by a zeitgeist evil demon lord who, through destruction and deception, has convinced everybody things are fine as long as you stare at the box, smile, and take your... I'm going to sip my coffee now. Hold on. Take your medicine. Take your medicine. Whatever that may be for you, just sit back, let the modern world save you. Oh, you could be a Christian play some golf before you go to heaven. Don't die too soon, you know? Make sure you stick around and all that kind of thing. That, that is what modernism has sold us. And Jesus Christ, being significantly more glorious than this, has not condemned us outright for this, but has given us chances to repent. It's so marvelous. He is so willing and able to just hand you freedom. But it does mean now, the freedom means now seeing that the chains of modern assumptions, the belief that we're better now, that we're new because we've got electricity or something, that, that makes us more able in any way, top to bottom, from, like the, from the micro to the macro, right? Uh, to believe that is, is such a big lie that it must consume you eventually. And uh, if not you individually... It's the track of the culture. Think generationally and think over time. And so, thankfully, as modernism destroys itself, because it's a bad idea, Jesus Christ is willing to shock the system, leaving his word bubbling underneath so you can hear it. And remember, well, that Jesus Christ is significantly more glorious than today, yesterday, or any day which has come before. He is now planning all these things for your salvation, so every time you see it fall, remember, maybe it's good. And in fact, the death of modernism will be very, very good for Christianity. It just, it might not bring us the numbers that the modern revivalistic ethos really thinks we should have. But you know what? I mean, Constantinianism brought us numbers. I mean, it, it, numbers numbers got David in trouble. Do you remember that? Like Like, not the book, but like censuses and things. So, like, maybe maybe it's okay. Maybe it's okay that we don't know how many of us there will be. Maybe it's okay that there might be a minority. You know what? That's not up to us. How many were there in Jerusalem on Easter weekend? And how many eight weeks later? I mean, it's not many. It's not many. Oh, the story I told this recently, I think that was in the sermon on Sunday, last Sunday, about, about Jonathan Maccabeus, how many did he have with him? Jonathan, his namesake, son of Saul. How many did he have? One. What'd they do? Just trusted? Ah, man. Man, what'd David do? Just go Just trusted? Jesus Christ is significantly more glorious than your world that you see right now. And it's high time to rejoice in this fact, to remember that they are the demons, and that has not stopped the fact from being. There are no great men in history who are not Christians. How can I say that? That one's, that one's, that's inflammatory right there. There are no great men in history who are not Christians. How can I say that? Because history will not be judged by the lies we write in books we call history books, which are really, you know, spinning fiction books for for regimes. History is not that, as you see it being torn down over and over again by those who write the next layer of it. The glory of Pelosi Elementary School no longer being there within a generation is just, well, it's medieval, actually. It really, really, really is but this the, the right side of history the scales of history how the history how historians will judge you you know why why all of that is that's the modern lie that's the idea that somehow now we've figured out how to remember enough that we know now and and we really have an understand, understanding we've we've got it together as as humans it just will be a matter of time okay so this is britain this is britain's idea uh the whole world's infected with it but if you notice Britain's not doing so well <laughs> yeah so so like the infection of the zeitgeist is getting ready to move right whatever that means i don't know look culture i'm talking culture i'm talking world spirit here yeah um nobody can pin the tail on that antichrist permanently unless we want to talk about the pope and no one wants to do that with me recently i'm all about it i think it's like the most the most ecumenical thing we can do right now is all agree the pope is the antichrist like that's a great starting point but that's a completely say, side tangent the the, the point here is that the judgment of history, right, where will history be judged is judgment day. And on judgment day, there will be no great men who are not Christians. Hey, get this. All men who are Christians will be great men, and they'll all be great in different ways. And we're all going to be like, yeah, you go for every single one of them. That's, That's Christianity's judgment day. Yeah. The rest of it, though, is that everybody else is like, look what I built. And then like that golden thing has become a melting crown you wear forever in scalding, whatever. I mean, it's all the all the worst stuff you can imagine. And it, hell is a different topic. We can come back some other time. But hell's the gospel. We, we, we got to get on that one hard. Talk about modernism infecting us. Hell is the gospel, people. Hell is where the devil gets thrown. We want this. We want the devil in the fiery pit and us not with him. This is this is a marvelous thing. Uh, And we're defending this against the scoffers all these years. is just, it's just, uh, 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 (laughs) it's the reason, I didn't even mean to look at this, but it's the reason why I'm getting spicy. I'm always spicy. That's why you listen. I'm always spicy. I'm just, I'm just more nervous today, probably. And so when I get nervous, I go faster, which can be good on a TV show about being fast talking, I suppose. So, all right, all right. So let's put a few things together here. If modernism isn't exactly eternal truth, and if uh, they are the demons, that means that what the modern world is doing in this great experiment of, of education, right, the believing that all humans should be educated, is the belief we're going to create a paradise on Earth if we just have the right amount of knowledge, getting to the right people. And right now, have you seen the the knowledge I think eight-year-olds should have? It's quite an interesting change in tactic. Al Kinsey is an important name in that. I, again, Lots there. You can go search it up on the internet somewhere else. But so this means that the modern educational experiment is the demons attempting to program your children's minds. You just, just got to know that. I'm not saying don't send your kids to public school. I'm just saying tell them when they go, you're going to be listening to the demon teaching now. <laughs> you might have a Christian teacher. That'd be awesome. However, the darkness is there, right? So, so be aware of where you're walking. Yea, though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I mean, you should say that in the morning with your kids. I I should say that I say it in the morning I should say it with my kids I really should they they don't get sent out quite into the the hallways that way but but what what I want you to take is the idea that programming your child's inner mind is your duty like who am I what am I here to do okay do you have a a kid you're here to program that child's inner mind more gently than yours was (laughs) right boom, start right there. Just stir right there. Like, oh, look, the kid made me angry. I remember being like that. Poor boy. How can I help him learn, right? They, work on that. See that programming your child's inner mind, all of them, all children, and all parents doing this, but fathers, I'm talking to you, that this is the most important thing you can do in life and remembering that they are also working at this full time. Now, you have something they don't have. You have the inequivalent exchange of prayer according to Scripture, right? So they've got time. They've got money. They've got power. You have the Psalter. You have the Proverbs. Yeah, you have Jesus' body and blood on the altar, if you believe it. <laughs> um, programming your child's inner mind, soul, psyche, heart. Not just to know these things like it's a matter of bullet point education, Jimmy, what's the Seventh Commandment? Right? Like, out of order. Oh, you better know i in order. Like, well, how, about, how about the kid not want to steal when he's tempted to steal? That would be the point, right? We have to program our children's inner minds. Programming, indoctrinate, whatever you want to call it. Do violence with words by being postmodern speakers. I mean, whatever you want to call it. It's, I mean, we, we've made the nonsense so indistinguishably unable to be navigated. Just back off it and see your kid, your kid's head is a little tiny not computer better than it? But we're building computers to mimic it. Okay, a little tiny not computer robot, Pinocchio, who, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> uh, who is going to take everything you see and do and absorb it on like three levels, only one of which is the information, and the information is secondary when they're young to the primal urges and all that, right? Noise and uh, facial, facial expression, uh, that kind of thing. Nurture. Nurture. Programming your child's inner mind is the most important thing you can do in life. Allowing someone else to do it for you is the most negligent thing you can do in life. Especially given that we have an epidemic of shame. I think I think I could say in the world. Um, certainly it would seem Western culture is a shame culture. Duh. Uh, cancel. And um, I'm pretty confident that my own church body is flush-filled full of shame. And... I know my own life is what I found more interesting than anything else I could say about. There's a lot I want to say about shame, but I think shame is what that old word sin used to mean. And I think if you just started using the word shame to describe how you feel when you feel it, knowing what it is. Well, I feel ashamed and then realize that I I feel like a sinner right now. That's actually what you're saying. I feel like sin. And then maybe there's a reason, and maybe it's valid, and maybe it's not. Maybe your problem is you feel sin for a lot of things that aren't sin. Uh, Hello. (laughs) Hello, LCMS. But that's not everyone's issue. What I think is useful for everyone is to see that shame is the way we've hidden the word sin in modern English. And if we can kind of retake that word, we got sin back. And we can talk about it with everybody. They'll know what we're talking about. As soon as we say, shame. Jesus Christ came to justify your shame. Jesus came to forgive you're your shame To take away your shame. And, and Paul says, it, I am unashamed of the gospel. It's good stuff, right? So throw that one in your whatever this week. To be wise, I've already kind of hinted at this. To be wise means to be unaware. Or, no, it doesn't. To be wise means to be aware of unseen realities. Talking about education in the modern new. The idea that everything we know that can be known must be seen. Okay, well, if you want to call that empirical knowledge, you go, man. We got some. And it makes, like, toys, schemes, tools, whatever, projects. Great. But this bare and naked knowledge seems to be kind of raw and destructive, as I am watching it do stuff to people. And, uh... What I think we need to go with knowledge is wisdom, and I think wisdom is predominantly based upon unseen realities. And the problem with modernism and empiricalism's, like, a- assumption is that there are no unseen realities. Which, again, physics tells you right now, there's all sorts of unseen realities going on, and we're like, what the Oh my goodness, the particles are dodging our brains! They're like, taut- wait a minute. Maybe they are talking, they just haven't told us that. Anyway... Different topic, you dystopic people, you. Uh, To be wise is just to recognize that there are unseen realities. You cannot know everything. There are things that will be unexpected. I mean, Talib makes his living writing math books about this. But then, all right, harder to make a living writing books about this. But, But it is certainly true. To be wise is to be aware of unseen realities, and thus the most natural result of wisdom is prayer. Real wisdom. You think you know, to be to be worldly-wise is to be aware there are unseen realities and plan for those unseen contingencies and have it all work, right? But to be godly-wise is to realize that the battle is to Jesus Christ, deliverance is of Jesus Christ. <laughs> you prepare the warhorse, absolutely. Make your contingencies, but the most natural result of real wisdom is to know you got to pray about what you would like Jesus Christ to do. Yeah, for sure. Is, uh, oh, speaking of which, okay, okay. Okay, hey guys, I figured something out. This was like a backwards end around kind of thing, but here I'm just going to leave it there. You can ask questions later. But do you want to break your porn addiction? There's like a commercial right now, right? You want to you break your porn addiction? I know how. Get a divorce from the internet. There it is. Boom. It's done. It'll, it'll be gone. It'll it'll hurt like the dickens. It'll be gone. Uh, Baptized into. What are you baptized into? Well, the name of Jesus, I hope, which is the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I hope, and and certainly then would involve getting you wet with water, I hope, as well as the regeneration of your spirit as a gift of God so you experience the new life, I hope. And why I say I hope is only because I don't know who you are. I know that's what it is. I don't know who you are. But I want to add to you, with all those things that you are baptized into the name of Jesus, who is the mediator for us. Of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit whose washing with water is not well merely water but also the regenerating action of the gospel in time and space. The kingdom of heaven, boom! Hitting you with the resurrection of the dead. Yeah, That resurrection is now by faith alone So that resurrection is not what you're going to yet. It's simply the fact that I can say, I believe and God has chosen me now. There's nothing I can do about it other than believe it. I can throw myself away, but let's not focus on that because that's a bad, dark path. I'm going to focus on the electing power of God and how he is with me unto the end and that this regeneration I've been baptized into is not my spirit, but his. And therefore comes not from within, but from without. That is not from all the world, but from the Holy Scriptures. And so finding that the spirit of Jesus Christ, which is promised to you in your baptism, is guaranteeing you the promises that are in Holy Scripture. You can take hold of these deliverances of Jesus Christ, that kind of thing. But what I have found recently is such a beautiful way to think about baptism and the life of the Christian, the regenerate, new, obedient world, is that you are baptized into, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I love that. I knew Jesus had said it. That was great. I knew I knew that Stephen had said it. I thought, oh, it's nice. Stephen repeats Jesus. When I learned that James the Just had said it, the, the, the triforce there, right? And it's outside of scripture. It's just tradition. But when I learned that that's the tradition, I, it, it struck me, what a beautiful, beautiful set of words those are. Especially if you want to reframe or renetwork your modern mind into one that realizes that. You mostly have zombies running around around you. They are they're feasting upon flesh daily, mindlessly hoarding and shambling themselves into destruction. They they literally know not what they do. And such for some of you, as Paul says in Ephesians two, yeah, but you have been again baptized into a lot of things, Jesus Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. It's it's a nice. It's been nice for me to ponder that one. So I hope it helps you too. And, oh, oh, oh. I mentioned Psalm 23 already. Do you know you have a soul? I mean, I knew I did, sort of. But everyone had kind of convinced me. Everyone. They. They had kind of convinced me that the word soul doesn't really work anymore. So I stopped using it. Stopped thinking about it. Tried other things. There's some other good ones out there. Breath is actually really good. I know. Uh, to think about your breath as a... I'm a spirit, you know, there's some value there. Uh, but just allowing the word soul to exist in the Bible in English, even if it's not always correctly translated, has been a, a, a beautiful thing, a beautiful thing. Uh, he has redeemed my soul. Ah, I, I'm not even sure what it means yet. I, but I know it means this. It means that, yeah, even though I walk every day of my life through this valley of the shadow of death, I have no evil to fear because Jesus Christ is with me. His rod, his staff, they become a comfort to me so that I can see how he prepares a table before me in the presence of mine enemies on which my cup runneth over. So it remains a certainty, goodness and mercy are going to follow me all the days of my life. I can say that with conviction because I'm baptized into Jesus. And I know that's his prayer and he already did it. And now he says, "You're my body too. Come along." And what else you got, people? Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Ooh, I almost said it. I've said it. I've broken the rule. But since it's vigil and the sun ain't down yet, I'll just wait on that last word and leave you with. We'll be right back in a moment with your questions. Stick around. All right, all right, all right. Here we go. Questions from you. Answers from where? Wherever we can find them, hopefully connected to the eternal words of our Lord Jesus Christ, Rachel says this, If someone is knowledgeable about the Bible, claims to believe in and love God and also pray, but does not go to church, does that make them right? Is it possible to love God, believe in God, and not go to any church? So, as with most questions that we find here, there's going to be layers to the answer. And I'm going to start with just saying to begin with, The word church isn't doing us any favors these days. It is a completely deconstructed and even reconstructed into something that it's not word. And continuing to try to use it, while at the moment I think is unavoidable, can only be dealt with by starting the conversation about what a terrible word it is. It's just a terrible word. It doesn't work for what the New Testament means. Whenever that word shows up. (laughs) And so like, it's like just the opposite. It's just so, it's such a foreign idea that if you were to translate into English today, you would never use this word. You just wouldn't use it. It wouldn't show up in the Bible. There's no such thing as a church in the Bible. Uh, Not the ones we're, we're talking about today, not as constructed and construed. And, and so having lost the connection, I mean, are, is there a real church at the places that are called churches today? Yes. At some of them there, there is, this is, this is true. Um, but what is that thing that's there that distinguishes them? I, we won't, don't even know where to begin on that conversation if we're just talking general Christianity. Uh, and I would say, even you know, LCMS Lutherans, you know, we are we are wont to be known for thinking we know. And honestly, guys, we study a lot and we've read a lot of stuff. You haven't, so we do. <laughs> uh, but but we're also not very good at at uh, spotting the fly in our own ointment. And we have a, a tendency to think that because we know, therefore we've applied it to our hearts which, guys, come on now, come on, come on. <laughs> the cynicism and bitterness and shame in the LCMS across the board shows us we, we haven't really understood what we believe, you know, or we haven't believed what we understand. And uh, I don't know, is there a time in history where that will happen? I think generation theory, as I've become more aware of the idea that, that the spirit is working within the generations, and we're not gonna be able to see this, but we can know that, again, Babel, destroys the language over time, but the scriptures always are going to be breaking through whatever confusion is sown over each 40-year period of generation as people forget things. We can trust in this to keep us what the Bible says is church. Now, to try to begin taking that toward an answer to the question, let me just say that what the Bible says church is if you, if you take that just straight, what the Bible means when the word church shows up, like every time, there's not that many, honestly, um, every time, well, there's, there's a lot of illusion too, and it doesn't show up because of issues with the Greek and why we translate this way and that way, not all the same time, blah, 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 the bare phrase, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian, biblically, is to declare yourself going to hell. Because, biblically, the word church means the body of the risen man, Jesus Christ. So, to say that I do not have to go to the body of the risen man, Jesus Christ, to be saved, is to declare yourself unsaved. I mean, it's, it's just, it's that easy. Now, the problem is, most people have no idea they're doing this, even though they probably are. <laughs> you know, people are like, I can worship Jesus on the mountains. You know, like, like the, that attitude you know, uh, is is, is from them, (laughs) Uh, as opposed to the one that sees the need to hearken to the voice of the shepherd, to hear the calling of Jesus' word, which is his spirit, agreeing with the scriptures and yet voiced aloud in the generation, to hear that is going to be what a Christian is, and at various times and places, how that will be able to be orthodox, to break through the morass and show forth what really is there in the scriptures, will be a roiling sea of, of dispersed peoples. With ver- varying traditions wherein there may be great faithfulness, and at the same time great unfaithfulness. We call that heterodoxy. And I would suggest that there's been a whole lot of it, even amongst the orthodox. We got blind spots. Does that mean that letting the lies exist are okay? No, every generation's just got to dig. We should also realize that not every fight's the same. sometimes, man, they change tactics quick. Or maybe we're just a bit slow because we're stuck on some nostalgia. That that could be too. Nostalgia for the word church. What's it even mean? What's it even mean? Now, I'm most provocatively intrigued by the shift in direction your question takes uh, because I'm not quite sure what the question, the first one means. So I get it. Someone claims... Or they are knowledgeable about the Bible, claims to believe in and love God and pray, but also doesn't go to church. Does that make them right? What do you mean? Like on everything they ever say? right? No. Um, does that make them right in not going to church? No. I mean, well, what, what, what what's the church we're talking about going to, right? This is the problem. Are, are we talking about the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints? Are we talking about the Church of Satan? There's one of those out there now, too. You know that? I mean, so what are we talking about? The language is so devoid of meaning now that to try— why do, It may not be for you and for him. You're both filling it with meaning, but what you don't realize is you're both valid in the way you're arguing based on what you understand the word to mean, and you don't know that there's a, a massive gap between you and each other in the meaning of the word— And that's because the whole world is spinning with confusion on the word where everyone's basically doing this. We're filling the word church with our own meaning, but I can tell you it means building. That's the primary meaning for most of us is building, building. And there's nothing to do with the building in the New Testament, except for your body and us as the stones of the living building that is Jesus Christ, who is filling us with his word, us, us, us. So that's where the coming together of church, ecclesia would be the Greek, the calling together, the gathering you, you kind of have to do that because it's how you do it, like. And so, at some point, this happened to this person in theory, right? So, at some point, this person was with other Christians who shared the fact that Jesus is risen and the Bible is true, and he's like, "I believe this." So, like, like he already has gone to church. What do you mean you don't have to go? You have gone to church. Are you are you trying to claim that there is no church? It's such a ridiculous argument. It's backwards. Now, why? Is this rational? This ridiculous argument is completely reasonable. It's because what we've learned to call church, these buildings, by and large are filled with liars and perverts in some form or other, gluttons at the very least, whether that be the pastor or the Christians among them, the hypocrites who stand there to praise the man who won't tell them the truth of the scriptures, but the opposite or the woman. After a while, you start to wonder, does this thing called church even exist? And I I get it. I get it. There's a reason Family Christian Radio was as big and wide as it was. And I don't think it was all wrong, even though it was a lot wrong. Uh, uh, is it possible to love God, believe in God, and not go to any church? No, no, no. It is not possible to love God, believe in God, and not meet with other Christians. You will end up loving yourself, meeting with yourself, and going to yourself. You're just not that able to forgive yourself, frankly. <laughs> I mean, everyone's out there trying to tell you, you got to forgive yourself. you got to forgive. You know what's real nice when Jesus forgives you. I mean, I I get the idea that at some point looking at yourself in the mirror and saying, hmm, I actually hate myself. Hmm, I need to not do that because Jesus doesn't do that, so why should I do that, right? But but let's learn how to forgive yourself. Who's got that power? You you morons. It's beautiful. Jesus, who has that power, gives it to you. Forgives you of your shame. Now, to do this, it must be from the outside. If you and your Bible alone in a cave, ye olde desert fathers, if that's your way of fighting the devil, you go for it, and I'll say, you know, you're going to find temptation for sure, and that's the road you want. Okay, man, Jesus is risen. You say so? Take care. Sayonara. I don't see a lot of uh, people who make this argument go and live in caves with the Bible to get away from the, the wretched, uh, you know, Tyre and Sidonian society we live in lest they escape the fire and flames when it falls out of the sky, right? Like, so So, what, what are you doing here? Golfing, right? I mean, so what's the argument? Now, there's also, <laughs> there's also, um, I just, I'm laughing because of what I just said, not because of what I'm going to say. Uh, um, there's those who just can't find one. And that's a whole different issue that didn't used to be quite the issue. Although I think it was. I think in every era, if you really want to find faithful preaching that teaches what the scriptures say, it's not just at every mom and pop church that shows up. Certainly not in the macros eh? in the big, big old, big old ones. Uh, So the hunger for scripture, the hunger for teaching, this has got to drive Christians together. It does. It will. And that's where any claim that you don't need church uh, is, is a lie. But then what do you do when you're where there is no church? And I've given this answer before. I mean, we have at least one listener, uh, viewer, who lives in a place that is very, 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 very far away <laughs> from everything except one church that just teaches legalism and, and makes him angry. It hurts him. Hurts him and his family. And so, yeah, don't go to that church. Is what I've said in the past, and I'll, I'll stand by that answer. Uh, it is you're supposed to flee the false teacher, Romans 16. Just go ponder it a little bit. It's really clear. It doesn't it? Doesn't need a lot of exegesis. <laughs> it's pretty straight up. Uh, and so, you know, you know when your conscience is being damaged every time you listen to a guy that you, he's not the voice of the shepherd. So you don't want to listen to that guy anymore. And uh, so, the next answer is: Well, then you have to decide: Can you move? and if you can move and it's worth it to you you do you move to where you can get to a church that's that's the evident answer that every christian should do i mean and i can even tie this to the third commandment remember the sabbath day by keeping it holy the idea is that you're going to remember to get together get together not forget doing this as are in the habit of as as hebrew says again you can you can quote all the verses the person making this argument's already just not listening that's the problem that's a different thing and different thing um but the person who is listening but like um, stuck in a cave, metaphorically speaking, and can't get out of the cave because you're enslaved to the masters who've put you in the cave. All you've got is like some podcasts in the Bible. Well, then you're right. You don't have to go to a building to be a Christian. This is true. This is true. Now, oh, you got me. We lose. I guess you never have to go to church again, right? Like, like, but that's what this person's doing, right? I mean, in, in all likelihood, this is a cynic who doesn't believe, and they're copying out. And you're saying like, oh, like, uh, don't take this wrong. Like a good modernist, if I just give them the right information, they will change their mind. No, 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 no. Information doesn't change minds. <laughs> information programs minds over time by brute force, but it does not really change non-thinking zombie minds, much less semi-thinking Christian minds. Uh, rather, what, what really changes us is contemplation on the things we've been given by God to contemplate, which is not all information. In fact, there's a lot of information out there that's from them. Skynet is real, my friends. Skynet is real. Is it possible to love God, believe in God, not go to any church? Not if you mean to not go to the body of Jesus Christ. Not if you mean to not gather or hear the word with others who are of Jesus Christ. Uh, not if you mean to reject all love for your fellow brother because you think you're better than them. <laughs> uh, not if it means just deciding the third commandment has no meaning whatsoever. Because you know what I find from people generally, generally who say I have the Bible? I've got the Bible at home. I can read it when I want to. Yeah, but you don't, you liar. I don't usually say it to you like that in the in the narthex when you're talking to me, but I know this is the kind of lies, though, that we all have to walk with together. I'm tired of walking with. I might start staying in it, you know? I would say, oh, yeah, what did you read this week? <laughs> right? it's, a, uh, it's like the one about the person who, uh, uh, yeah, yeah. The end around on the person who says, you know, why do you read the po- Proverbs? They're just like fortune cookies. Oh, yeah, really? So which one do you think are like fortune cookies? You'd have to like know one, right, to, to do it. Just call the bluff. Call the bluff. Uh, but I don't want to go past the hypocrisy of the modern churches. Mainline churches particularly, but there's a lot of us that have drunk Kool-Aid on that one. Uh, The hypocrisy of the modern churches uh, and the fact that you should flee them. And so you might have to be sojourning for a while without the ability to commune with your brothers and sisters. But that you would think that's something to boast of. That means you, you're an idiot, right? You're, if you're boasting about it, you're a fool. Uh, what you want to do is work to undo that. And I, I think I've given this answer before to our, our uh, living in a cave friend, uh, shepherd in a cave, uh, is, is exactly that. As I say the word shepherd there, kind of jestingly, truly every father is the pastor of the home. We, we need to believe this before we believe in the office of the ministry. Fourth commandment, okay? I went from third to fourth. The fourth commandment, the father is the pastor. He's the shepherd. So the word means shepherd. He's the shepherd of the home. Uh, he's he's the teacher of the home. He's also the priest of the home. Ah, huh? oh oh priest Lutheran say hey, pri- yeah. <laughs> what we love is the fact that every baptized Christian is in the priesthood of the resurrected, and that we, by prophecy and prayer and the sacrifice of these things, which is to let our hearts and minds speak what the Scripture says to God again, without getting in our in the way too much. That this is. Our spiritual worship, this is the spirit acting to make us walk in faith and life. And so teaching this in the home as a pastor would teach it at church happens to be what we're really supposed to be about. And so this is where, you know, again, like, are you alone in a cave? Because if you're not, then one of you in your little group you live in in your house is kind of already designated by God to be the pastor, uh, or I guess you might have to have an abbotus. No, she's just a helper, right? This isn't like handling the sacrament. Please don't misunderstand me, right? Uh, w- when we do things publicly as the church, the public recognition of the officialness of the ministry needs to be there, right? The office of the holy ministry, that, that understanding, the preaching office, the predicate, all this stuff. But that is just the scaling You know how scale works. You have it small and you have it big. That is the scaling of family to a larger section called tribe, right? Or, well, church at this point. (laughs) Uh, So, but it's it's a scaling of something that on the small... Works way better, or well, works the same way. So if we, if it's not working on the large, well, the pastor isn't getting the people to follow. It's because the fathers aren't getting the kids to follow, and they aren't getting the wives to follow. And, and why are they not getting people to follow? Well, maybe they're just saying, "Follow me," and well, that doesn't work. Maybe they're not trying at all because they've been scarred and traumatized by some random chaos like shame. Well, I'll raise my hand on that one. You can ask me about it later. So, um, I go to church <laughs> to be forgiven for my shame, even though I don't get to hear it. I don't get to hear it. Every week, I absolve everybody else's sins. I I preach about it. And then I get to hear the scriptures and see where I'm going to preach to everybody else about it. But hey, here's the thing. Here's the thing. I'm baptized. I'm baptized. There's always forgiveness like in a bottle right there. And then also, (laughs) uh, even though I don't get to... uh, Uh, forgive people's sins verbatim, or have my sins forgiven verbatim, I do get to feast upon the body and blood of Christ with those who have just been absolved. Uh, So watch someone bring me up on charges because I haven't been recently absolved. Oh goodness. Actually, Circuit exists for that, doesn't it now? Yeah, although I didn't go for like two months. So I haven't been absolved for like three months and I've been communing. If you would like to bring me up on charges, we can just try to have me reconcile instead. Yeah, let's do that for (laughs) welcome. It's not that bad in the LCMS, but we kind of feel like it is. Because it was, and maybe we're still living in the crisis that hasn't fallen away. Uh, Rachel, I hope those answers helped. I hope those answers helped. I, I guess they're helping me too. Thank you for sending them because uh, this is this is my counseling session. I need I need some water, and you don't like the ice on the on the microphones. I'll be back in a moment. All righty then. Okay, Nicole says this. <laughs> Hold on, I I got to stop for a minute. So a moment ago, I was I was doing German. I did Russian to myself. I was all alone, and I just spoke a lot of thought. And it was, and then I realized, wait, you just did that like a Russian accent. Wait, what? What are you? Do? Too many movies is what. too many movies, too many movies. Uh, Pastor Fisk, my concern is in regard to Bible study offered in more than one LCMS church I have attended. Why are we allowing studies by Beth Moore and Priscilla Shearer into our congregations? Do we, as LCMS Lutherans, not have ladies Bible studies offered by women in our own faith? This is very concerning to me. just curious what your thoughts are on the topic. Thank you for your time and attention, Nicole. This is a really good question and I don't want to be cavalier in my answer uh, but I think I think this gives us an opportunity again to reckon with twenty twenty you use the word "we in this question a number of times every time referring to an institution that doesn't really exist in any of our lives on any authentic or actual basis. The closest it comes to it is our local congregations, which are rabbits and hats. I mean it, it is it is whatever you, you don't I don't know. I go next door somewhere in the LCMS and I may as well be in Hillsong, Australia. I may as well be there. So this idea that there are these we's who are bigger than us but smaller than the zombie movement (laughs) Um, the end of all things the vision of telos (laughs) put that one together Uh, there is no we that is smaller than the macro zombie movement uh, and is bigger than your local something there is no we so like Just write that down. There is no we. You're attributing community to things that are not community. You're attributing community to things that are far away from you. That's not community. It's a modern lie about words that's made you believe that telecommunications, telos, communications, telos, communion, uh, is is going to help us all solve all the problems of the world because we're all going to unify behind the great, the great story of American democracy or something. Whatever they decide it'll be next week it won't matter because it's changed the channel. And eventually we're all, we won't mind. Eventually it is like The Matrix. <laughs> these symbols by the way, these movie symbols I'm talking about, they're not symbols. For me, this is, this is dead reality now. Dead reality. If you are watching movies as entertainment, you're plugged into The Matrix and you can't know you are. Nope. You gotta take the pill. You gotta get out first. You can't even see it. You can't even believe it till you're out. Uh, anyway. So, without me piping on that again, uh, sorry, I, I don't want to be. I don't want to be the one who says you have to do it. I'm just going to say that there is, <laughs> it's it's as twisting to your mind as any hallucinogenic drug is. Uh, the, the the consistent going back to the information slash formation taking place in movie entertainments, uh, the consistent telling you of what reality is until you disengage from that electrical input stimulus for your eyes for long enough to realize what is really tangible and what's just like old stories that aren't really real things at all. Um, it, it's it's going to be tough, right? You're going to continue to just imbibe something that's in the water that you can't see is in the water. And, and what's in the water? Well, this, we. We. Uh, so uh, here I am. I'm helping you. I'm on the TV, helping you, uh, trying to see it. So how do we see this? It starts with Nicola realizing there is no we in the LCMS. The, the LCMS is not a we. It has not been a we since 1973 or before. In 1973, some who called themselves we thought some who called themselves we and won, and then some left and some didn't. And then there were some new wees that showed up too. So there's all sorts of factioning going on in the LCMS, tons of it. Uh, and it's often theological, but also petty and worldly too. I mean, they're just a bunch of humans, just a bunch of humans. Uh, why should we expect any different? But that's just kind of the point. The modern age also kind of lied to us and told us that these institutions could unite us in ways that are unflawed, unfallen, that you can trust in princes. Just trust in the princes who don't call themselves princes. Now that we're not princes, we won't make the mistakes the princes made, right? Follow us for a couple hundred years. So, so, uh, into slavery. Uh, If you're in debt, you're in slavery, just know that. Uh, Going back to the question, there's no we in in the LCMS. There is a desire to be a we. Certainly the current administration would like us to unify. I don't think it's their fault. I'm not, I'm not saying that. Uh it's just that it isn't there. And you and it's demonstrated by what you just said. You can walk into a church that has something on the sign. Basically, though, you gotta hear it this way. The LCMS does exist as a healthcare package for people who believe the Bible is true. Now that doesn't mean they actually believe the Bible is true, it means they believe that they can say, I believe the Bible is true. Yeah. And so and, and then they will practice, they will baptize babies. They will baptize babies, and they tend to like the Lord's Supper even if they roll it away on a cart, right? Um, they, they will elevate it more than, than other evangelicals will. So it's like sacramental evangelicals. Um, so <clears throat> that existing within Lutheranism is just what it is, right? You can't do anything about it. It's here, it's not going to go away. We're not going to get together and vote it away. We're not going to argue at a microphone for five minutes each and then all be feeling better and work together now. That's not what's going to happen. What has to happen instead is that, well, real Christianity, real study of the scriptures is going to occur in churches, buildings, gathering points throughout the world, as it always has. They're devoting themselves to the scriptures, to the breaking of bed and prayer. And those which do that will be Christianity's you know, patriarchs, forebears in whatever form it takes, unless our Lord returns, which he very well could. And those who do not, they will be Laodicea. Well, or worse. I don't know. I, and that's where, okay, here's another thing, though. So This this question is so complex and deep, I'm barely touching the surface of it. Frisbee mentioned, or, or kind of hit it in her comments about it, that a faithful, she said something like this, like, you can go to a faithful church where everything is seeking the scriptures and, you know, trusting Jesus is the deliverer. <laughs> uh, and then the pastor can go away and a new pastor can come. I mean, it all changes. And that's where, so, you know, talking ecclesiology, talking church, you know, what's even more buried and hidden in ecclesiology is the theology of the preacher, theology of the pastor that they exist, that they're necessary, that they're ordained and given by Jesus Christ, that you should listen to one when he talks to you, uh, that they're not just locally bound, but they are locally bound to each other. That it is, it's our duty to try to unify as well, according to the scriptures, and walk with those who hold the same inspiration of the spirit, you know, Uh, and and that's where these older bodies come from. Uh, They were built as infrastructures for those who wanted to do that, but, as happens with worldly things, the more powerful and worldly it got, the more wicked men saw opportunity and made use of those structures. Christianity existed in it for a time, but we're watching it fall apart, and, you know, can we save the LCMS? Why do you care? I mean, either what I care about is that the Christians who are still in the LCMS as congregations outlast. Or remain the LCMS. I mean, either of those is fine with me. Like, I, don't, I don't need one or the other to happen. I, I mean, it's certainly, you got a lot of baggage with an old institution, a lot of infrastructure that's been created that should be taken away. That means firing people. And that, that no one wants to do that kind of work. And so because that work is hard and people get mad at you and sad and things, it doesn't happen. That So the institutions tend to, in our very matrilineal culture, they tend to just collapse slowly over time. So I don't have a lot of hope for, you know, getting all the LCMS congregations via the LCMS as an organization to all do the same thing. I I really have no hope for that whatsoever. Um, But I do believe that that people who believe the scriptures are confessed rightly according to the Augsburg Confession, who see in Dr. Luther's Small Catechism a potent summary and symbol of what it means to be a Christian, I'm convinced that (laughs) we— wherever we are without an institution that we will be able to walk together according to that rule. Yeah. Uh, even if that means we never know each other because that's what the promises of the church are is that Jesus is going to build his church and what Lutherans have that we're so arrogant about rightly. So I suppose is boasting in that only he does it and we know how and his word and sacrament. Yeah. Like let's, let's do it people. And, <laughs> and then no one listens. We're like, why not? We gave you the right answer, buddy. Yeah, again, again, uh, it's not that congregationalism is what the bible teaches uh and neither is it necessarily i think that that roman hierarchy is what the bible teaches but i what i can tell you is you get one or the other at this point uh you either are under the the battle for the seat uh, and and the east has its own version of this uh either you're, you're in the battle for the seat of hierarchy of which the Pope remains the single head of Christendom and thus the Antichrist. Uh, <laughs> uh, this is what we say. Uh, and so uh, you have that or you have congregationalism wherein, you, again, you're either going to have an Antichrist or not preaching. And as the preacher preaches, so goes. So goes, which is where it, it really doesn't matter if you like your preacher. What matters is what he says. <laughs> it really doesn't matter at all. And what matters is his demeanor a little bit too, like how he says it. You know, is, is he a model? And, and I, That's the wrong question. He's a model. Your pastor is a model. He's going to talk for like ten years, and your congregation will look like and act like him. I'm sorry, people. I'm sorry. The Lord gave you me. I'm doing my best. <laughs> uh, you know, but but It's at least to know that to know that your fellowship is with your pastor, and you can't avoid this. Uh, this can be helpful in selecting congregations as opposed to trusting bodies, right? Non 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 ordained para-congregational organizations beyond the simple fellowship of pastors who recognize each other as Orthodox, um, and which is what, again, like, our ecclesiology really teaches, I think. Um, I think I said that in a way that Pieper couldn't really disagree with. I, yeah, I think so. So <laughs> if if that matters to you, um, and it does because Pieper wasn't wrong. Pieper wasn't wrong, but Pieper fought a very different battle than we're fighting. He was trying to keep modernism, uh, and that's and so a lot of his answers are nearsighted because they're informative, they're true, they're factual, but they don't necessarily give us what we need right now for the fight. And uh, anyway, I, I do think the first, like, what, 25 pages of Pieper, every adult male that's a Christian should read Francis Pieper's first 25 pages or so, just, just to see what these guys were capable of, the, the kind of capacity for caring about the Bible they had. I mean, it's unbelievable. Uh, they really blow us out of the water. Uh, bu- 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 bu. so yeah it, it should be concerning to you that anybody would listen to Beth Moore or Priscilla Shear uh, I mean on that level it really it should bother you like like really like I know that like shame is an issue I get that it's my issue and what they do is they they work on making you feel unashamed and that's good probably but the thing is if you're trying to get rid of your shame that is your sin somewhere other than the cross of Jesus you're not actually getting rid of it no they say the name Jesus Oh, but they say so many other things. <laughs> they say what they say in other ways. And I, mean, I don't really want to dig into just why Pentecostalism is from the devil right now. There are many Pentecostals who are Christians, just like many Roman Catholics who are Christians, maybe even a pope or two. Uh, <laughs> we don't need to dig into all that so much as to see that it's just, it's just as clear as this. Oh, I should, I should answer this. It's just as clear as this. Why, when you have a, a, a man a body locally with a mind and a mouth who in theory has been trained for this, who you pay not only a salary to, but his benefits. And that's a nice package, people. Thank you. Appreciate the package. It's a good package. That's why there's so many people on our roster still. Um, uh, So you pay this guy to do nothing other than, in theory, it's not really quite true, but but it should be read the Bible and teach it to you no matter where you are, including if you're dying. Like That's that's what you pay him for. And you're buying a book by a woman in Australia. Prefabricated Jesus ain't the path. I got books. I think they're worth reading. But you know what? If the pastor's going to teach that instead of the Bible, <sighs> hopefully it gets them to the Bible. <laughs> I, I don't. Why? Why would anyone need? If you're a pastor, you're trained. Why would you ever give up the possibility of being the speaker? And oh, because you want to have more scale than you can do for your personal self and you feel you have the right to just earn that and do that. Well, okay, okay. Small groups, sure, fine. How about recognize, though, that every person who's speaking has far more influence than you do in those small groups? And so what you really have is uh, an extension of the pastoral office, whether you see it or not, whether you ordain it or not, doesn't matter. You're doing it. You're doing it. So then those people who are speaking in those groups should be the ones who are prepared to speak about the Bible. And again, they've got to go to some lady from some group far away to help them learn. Oh, oh, wait, I I, I missed it. I real, I sorry. You were talking about the ladies Bible studies. Got it. Because we all know that as a woman, you can't learn from a man. It's, it's common knowledge. It is known. It is known as a woman. You cannot learn from a man. That's why a woman has to say it in order to give the insight that it really has. Now, if you don't know that lots of people actually believe that, and when you think you need a Bible study by a woman for women, you're joining them. Well, then now you should. <laughs> now you should. Uh, is it wrong for a woman to write of her faith? No. Write. I, all of you, pick up a pen and write. Start writing right now. Every time you write Proverbs on the paper, you did a Bible study. You did one. You made one right there. You're going to pay someone to do that for you. And then they're going to be like a heretic and do it. Why are you doing that? Like you're way better off on your own in the Bible than with, with, with Beth Moore. (laughs) Uh, So, so I, 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 but I don't have a problem with a woman writing. I don't have a problem with a man writing. You don't have to be a pastor to write down things about truth. Uh, C.S. Lewis, not a pastor, wrote some good, wrote some bad. He wrote some very fine things about Christianity. Uh, they're worth reading. But to take that and to think that's a Bible study is heretical, straight up, by itself. Like, you're off the chart already. See you later. Like, it takes a while for the repercussions of evil to come about. We know this. I mean, the Bible says this. Ecclesiastes says it very clearly. I see that the evil is not paid for right away. It it takes generations for these things to work out. So, you, you, you... your pastor should be the one coming up with the Bible study. You don't need to be buying books that claim to be Bible study tools from anywhere. You buy a book about Christianity and that's fine, but then also recognize dross and gold when you see it. But back on the, on the, the man thing, um, the fact is that Jesus, the man, the son of the father, is the only given speaker of the Holy Spirit that there is. And so nobody gets to go to heaven without listening to a man, right? Like, like that's just, we just got to own it. Do you hear my pain? (laughs) And Be mad at me if you need to, but it's pain. Thank God Jesus is a man. Thank God he's not a woman because he's a man. And if you can't join me on that, then you're not a mad Christian. Fine. I'm mad. I like the Bible more than the modern world. Call me nuts. Trusting in the one man, Jesus Christ, to be significantly greater, more glorious than all of our spats about man and woman, which you can read about in Genesis chapter three as they're foretold pretty clearly there, that he is as the seed, the new evangel, the actual new thing that came right then with that curse, that he is the antidote to this, that he is the completion of this, that he as a single man now speaks in such a way that his word sent through 12 men. 13 if you have Paul in there and Count Matthias sent through them and them to other men who arose were recognized and preached this same word that this is his standard and only way of saving the world and to inject women's voices into it is to disbelieve direct passages of scripture against it and to harness yourself to the zeitgeist of this age which you haven't noticed recently is a bit confused about these very matters. Because once you well once you get off the The train, I mean, you're just going to be in the hills. (laughs) You're just going to be in the hills. So, um, I think I covered a lot of the edges of this. There's so much more here. To see that 2020 is the fracture moment, that we were building toward unification as a civilization. We were all believing in a greater we. And now we're all roiling and falling back as all the greater we's are showing themselves to be completely... um, Lunar. (laughs) Uh, They're not really able to fulfill what they were claiming to be or even designed to fulfill. Um, Wow. That all really made sense. Rewind it. Listen again. Um, So to to realize the fracturing of the Wees and then search for the we that is real. Right? Find the we that is physical, not a story from the TV, not a story from the radio. I mean, those are important too, the we of mad Christianity, but more important than the we of mad Christianity is your local we. Find that. Make that orthodox. That's your fight. Yeah. Wherever where the good fight that Paul talks about, it's your local orthodoxy, not something far away. If you want far away, you got congregation in every direction probably to get connected to, right? Like, start there. Don't go to the globe right away. Now, within this realm of of the interwebs, are there popping up new Wiis that exist as the old fracture happens? Yeah. And I hope to position us us the chill. Uh, I hope we have positioned ourselves to be a a nice big bucket to catch a bunch of people who are hungry to hear about Jesus hungry to live where Jesus is being taught in truth and purity, hungry to practice that life according to things like praying the Psalms and believing the Proverbs. I want to encourage that not only where I am locally, but also throughout the world in all manner of dispersed, uh, well churches, right? Churches, gathering places. Um, so, uh, you know, that, to me, seems real. <laughs> Picking up the latest Beth Moore Bible study, it seems like you're living in the dark ages. dark ages. Dark ages, dark ages, dark ages, dark ages. I didn't have to pay for that effect. Did you know that? I, I did that with my own mouth. I did. I really did. Where's the five seconds? Come on. <laughs> okay. Uh, Luke. Luke says this. Can someone please explain to me how the law gospel paradigm works? (laughs) I like this one, too. Oh, man. In practice. Even better. I understand in theory, but then I go and I read something like 1 Peter 1. Let's just do that first. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. I like that image. Uh, Be sober and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I like that image, too. As obedient children... Not conforming yourselves to the former lusts as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy. You also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. And I think, okay, so now I must be obedient, but I can't fully be obedient. I try and I fail, and inevitably my former lusts sometimes become my current lusts. Luke. All right. This is awesome in a lot of ways. I'm looking forward to the Peter text on its own. But I just want to go right at the start, right? This is, uh, and uh, bring, bring the fire and brimstone if you need to. Law and gospel is not a paradigm. Teaching it as a paradigm is, is not biblical. It's lunacy. It's insane to try to turn law and gospel into a structure for anything. What law and gospel is, is the recognition that God is working with two epistemologies. Now, if you don't know the meaning of that word, it means you just dropped out of the fight of my argument, okay? (laughs) Uh, So go learn that word, because I'm fighting on a certain level, uh, because I know there are people out there that are going to get all mad (laughs) about how I said it. I want to make it really clear that I'm orthodox. Law and gospel is not a paradigm. It is two epistemologies. It is the recognition, a particularly glorious light that has shown us that God is working with two epistemologies, two creations. That's law and gospel. Now, it gets much deeper than that. And there's all sorts of things you can learn from it, including ways to discern where a conscience is as you talk to that person and realize, oh, they need me to speak this way, not that way. I need this epistemology right now, not this epistemology. Oh, it was an unbeliever. I need to not treat them like they're a believer. It's a believer. I need to treat them like they're a believer. Right? And that's kind of what it comes down to, actually, too, in part. Uh, so there there are ways in which the epistemologies of law and gospel will need to be part of your paradigm, where your worldview, where you live. Right? Law and gospel should, should reckon with that. But to treat them as the framework for life itself is where your completely non-biblical mindset has come from and you're not alone we've done this to ourselves it's not Lutheranism but it is like the last 60 years of LCMS preaching Kamerer Kamerer and if you don't know that name again you dropped out of the argument (laughs) but for those of you who want to come back in the argument then what did I just say? I said that law and gospel is not there for you to try to use it on yourself as a way to structure your understanding of the Christian faith law and gospel is there for you to remind yourself that God speaks two different realities in the Bible and that one of them is greater than the other he speaks the reality of this creation which includes not only because of us our sin but the goodness of desiring to redeem ourselves, which also, vexed by our sin, becomes a great evil. That you can call the law. It accuses us, even as it's good. We come, and the devil uses the good thing against us, and it's all bad. Not the law, just all that we observe in this fallen reality. But that is the the world of the law, and in this you can study it, you can apply it, you can do it. You can do it. You can fulfill the law. Jesus did. John the Baptist got awful close. James, the just, no one could accuse him of a thing. So, so what does it mean to, to do that? As opposed to what you're doing is taking the Sermon on the Mount diagnosis of the sinful condition, and you're trying to use it as a law gospel paradigm for forgiving yourself and getting better. You're actually trying to, I shouldn't say that. You're trying to use it as a, as a paradigm for self-justification is what you're doing. So you're, you're taking law gospel and you're trying to use it to justify the world as an idea. That would be, again, the Kammerer-LCMS paradigmatic problem that's created this for you and many other people. And if you're mad, again, be mad at this guy Kammerer. Uh, he, he did leave the LCMS with the guys who didn't believe the Bible, um, but he has, he's done a lot of damage to people's consciences. He really has. Uh, and, and so it is what it is. Uh, the law is this created world. The gospel is then the new creation, which I mentioned the Proto-Evangelion earlier, that Jesus is spoken of as soon as we fall. So that new creation already begins, and God has foreseen this, God has predestined the salvation of all this, right? Um, and then that new creation is seen, resurrected in Jesus' body, is what this whole weekend is, is all about. And in this, then, the resurrected Jesus is the gospel. He, he's not an idea, he's not a theory, he's not a plan, he's not, he's not the Roman's road, he's not a prayer, the risen male body, Jesus, king of the universe, lord of lords, patriarch, Ponto Krator. He is the good news. There's a guy who's not dead. He'll never die again. And he wants you to join him for free. It's pretty sweet. Yeah, it's going to hurt in the meantime, but it hurts here anyway. Did you notice? No, you didn't because you've been trying not to. But when you acknowledge that it's hurting, you can't do nothing about it. Well, there's a better way to live. A better way to live. Uh, and so, well, that's not the law-gospel paradigm. That's just me telling you the gospel, actually, right? Uh, which is that this new kingdom of Jesus Christ is both imminent and eminent. <laughs> All at once! And that's good poetry, if nothing else. Uh, it made sense. You can rewind it and look it up. <laughs> e and I on the front end of it. Uh, so, so to try to take law and gospel, the recognition that there is a fallen creation and uh, that its true but good law accuses your heart and also shows you where you should go and that Jesus saved you from it. And to try to make it go in that order every time you engage anything in the scriptures is just to confuse yourself and and like bang your head against your own um, overly neurotic psyche, yeah? Instead, as I'm advocating, well, let me just say, why don't you go to the Lutheran Confessions Formula of Concord, Solid Declaration, I believe it's Article five but once you read four five six and seven all together it's a nice thing it hangs together and and you'll see there that long gospel is spoken about as an understanding Uh, so we do have an epistemology that there are two epistemologies Mm, we can do that i can do that with you um but we have an understanding that there are two understandings in the scriptures and that the resurrection of jesus christ christ trumps all the other ones but the other ones remain true I mean, the only things that aren't really true anymore are like, we're not supposed to make sacrifices on the Ark of the Covenant at the temple anymore. But see, he kind of took care of that for us, if you hadn't noticed. So like, <laughs> like, most of what's there that you could do is pretty wise in general. And I don't, don't go start in Leviticus. That, that's difficult. Start in Proverbs. It's not that difficult, right? And, and so that paradigm that I'm talking about is the paradigm of Scripture interpreting Scripture, which is where we got Long Gospel. Uh, that the scriptures are sufficient, uh, that sola scriptura is the path to sola Christi. Let I me mean, say that, right? And that faith alone and grace alone, they're inside of that, that sola scriptura is what it teaches and that they're what Christ, that scripture teaches, gives us. Uh, so I think that paradigm as a paradigm is much better. Am I against the law and gospel? No, it's just not a paradigm. And we've been treating it like one. We've been treating it like it's a framework and it never has been. It's 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 the fact that it looks like there's two gods. That's another way to say it. It looks like there's two gods. There's the God of creation, who's a who's a jerk, and, and then there's Jesus, who's awesome. But he's also the God of creation. He's like, yeah, no, I'm not a jerk, and here's why. And why? We're the jerks. <laughs> yeah. And he's such not a jerk. He's gonna save us now. Now again, I just did long gospel to you, but it it, it isn't it isn't it isn't a paradigm. It isn't a paradigm. So so hopefully I've done enough there, right? I just like it is. It is two epistemologies. It's two ways of understanding. And the gospel understands forever. Uh, the gospel is the recognition that Jesus is with you now forever. Uh, that saves you. The law, as we understand it in that kind of language, there's other ways to use this word "law," but in in that language, you know, uh, the law is the accusation of your sin. Well, that's with you only till you die. And now we're going to get into your accusation here, right? You're being accused. You're being accused. But you should expect this. Don't think law gospel is going to make it. You're going to get accused by wherever you find a law text, and you are finding law text. That's fine. Why is that bad? I love the law of Jesus Christ. The law of liberty, as James calls it. It frees the conscience. How does it do that? Not in Jesus' name, right? Or in Jesus' sight. In Jesus' sight, my conscience is freed because I'm baptized into him because his crucifixion did it. But now, you know what I'd like to do now that I'm saved? And have like a lot of life left, I'd like to live a good life. And that doesn't mean wealth and lots of stuff. It means walking in my integrity. That's the Bible's language. Walking in my integrity. That I might be able to go to judgment and say, Lord, I've done what I can do according to your word. And that's going to involve repentance and forgiveness all the way. That's what absolution, the supper. that's all for that. But the the exhortation here is not that you would be Seeking to stand before Jesus and have nothing to, to, to receive, right? All to give, nothing to receive. But that you would stand before your brother now and have nothing between you, him, and Jesus. That's what these texts are all about. And so to, to bind them into your, like, I must sanctify myself unto justification quest that you're on, it, it belies your confession of justification. And I don't blame you for this. The confusion of the new obedience and justification are, are very easy to do. In fact, that language isn't even that helpful, as I say it. The conf- the confusion of the fact that deliverance is of Jesus Christ alone, and yet you must prepare the horse for the ba- day of battle, that confusion is great. That confusion is great. Uh, so let me just see if I can unconfuse this passage rather than going back, back into the, the muck of my own words. So 1 Peter says this, therefore gird up the loins of your mind. Okay, so that's law. law. It must be bad. It must be there to accuse me. No, Peter is not accusing anybody. There's no shaming going on here. He's like, dude, what's up? You know what? We're at war. But we're on the right side. And God is with us. So gird up your loins, man. I mean, like, like that's, not, that's not to accuse you. That's supposed to raise you, right? In some ways, it's, it is gospel, but it's not. It's not. at well, least not narrowly defined. And this is where that paradigm is. There's narrow, there's wide. I mean, just, you can't use that as a paradigm. You have to use Jesus as your paradigm. Jesus' resurrection is the paradigm. The cross and resurrection, there's your paradigm. The suffering, the empty tomb, there's your paradigm. Epistemology. Gird up your loins. Not just your loins, the loins of your mind. I love this. Be sober-minded. right? So what is this? No alcohol for you ever? Ah, no. I like how the Proverbs approaches alcohol. It's basically like, if you're poor and your life sucks, we get it. You can have a beer or two at night. I mean, it's hard. It's hard. Oh, do you have authority over others and you're responsible and other people could die if you don't eat do your job? Yeah, you really shouldn't drink much. No, no, no. You really shouldn't drink much. And, um then the recognition that when you do drink too much it turns into brawling confusion, hatred right? Uh, all of that approach to alcohol and drunkenness and then the idea of sober mindedness is not that you would never feast but that when you feast even when you feast, you feast for strength you feast for the good of the community and the table you're not trying to escape in the cup you're prosting the cup unto tomorrow's whatever it might be right, Uh, that is the biblical proverbial approach to alcohol of course i know no one likes to read the proverbs i don't know why uh, so um soberness then is not the avoidance of alcohol but it is the recognition of the distinction between when you've had two drinks and when you have it and that you want to live as a man who hasn't had any that is even when you've had two you don't forget who you really are uh and and Sober-mindedness then is is a form of mindfulness, I would say. If you've got a background in mindfulness, just recognize that's pagan by and large. And that sober-mindedness is kind of the same thing only Christian. It's to, to be aware of what's really going on. Be aware of your surroundings. Gird up the loins of your mind, being sober-minded. So how would a Christian do that? Well, it's by recognizing that Jesus is going to come again. So whatever you're feeling right now will pass. It will pass. It will pass into glory. That, that's a sobering thought. Yeah. Those are good thoughts. Uh, you know, when Ecclesiastes says things like, go to the house of mourning, not to the house of laughing, for that is, uh, the fools are in the house of laughter and mourning is the house of the wise, be sober-minded. Remember, de- death, <laughs> I, I'm going to tell the story this way, My, my, um, we've had at least one guest, maybe two, who have noted after staying with us for a couple of days as a family of seven that we talk about death a lot. Really? Oh, yes, you talk about death all the time. Really, we do? Like, not just me, like everybody. Apparently, we joke about it. Which is kind of awesome, actually, if you think about it. It means we think it's a joke, which, which it kind of is, which keeps us sober for other things, yeah? Uh, so that's the idea here. It's not that you must achieve the perfect sobriety of mind and enlightenment as the Buddha, right? I mean, no! You're in a war. Jesus is on your side. The zombies are everywhere, but even if they eat you, you're just going to rise from the dead in glory, so be sober-minded. Rest your hope fully upon the grace. you want gospel rest where are you supposed to put your hope now and anything else he's saying where's hope go hope goes one place grace jesus christ boom right what do you need man read it (laughs) i love you thank you for asking i'm only chiding because you're like oh oh yeah yeah see that opening right there hope fully upon the grace of jesus christ like like Look for those texts in your Bible and highlight those texts. If you want to make law gospel a paradigm, gospelize your Bible by highlighting only things that tell you where to hope. <laughs> See what it does; it, yeah, it'd be pretty cool. Uh, start in the New Testament and then go back. By the way, you might you might have it easier that way. Um, all right, so uh, rest hope on the grace that's to be brought at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, what's the revelation of Jesus Christ? I, sadly, we live in a day where that might be confusing. That's the that's when He comes back, the last day. The last day. So the grace you already have is only going to be more grace on the last day when he comes back. So set your hope on that. As obedient children, now you can always translate that word obedient as believing. Frankly, the words come from words that mean believing and we're so sinful that we turn them into obedience thinking by the time we're done and that we need a new word. You can track this through the history of these words. Obedient itself means to be under words, to hear you. Just as the Greek hopakuo means to be under words, to hear you, to respond to what you said, to really believe what you said. Uh, You know, even in an apotheo, to to not believe, to not obey, is not only a faith word, but it is. So, you know, faith and works, they are of the same coin. We can debate which one saves you because deliverance is of Jesus Christ, duh. But deliverance of Jesus Christ does not leave you wallowing in the muck with those who have no hope. But lifting up your head, it doesn't mean you're going to put away every sin in your heart. You're going to lift up your head. You're going to realize there's other sinners and maybe shut your mouth at least probably the first thing most of us should do in conversation with those who are near us, listen, speak gently, all that. Obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy. So what are the former lusts he's talking about here? I mean, you're probably thinking immediately about like, like porn, right? Uh, or like the girls as they walk by, which every boy learns to realize is different than when the boys walk by except for when they confuse you with TV your entire life and convince you you're not who you are. But again, unplug, unplug and see what happens. Um, uh, (laughs) you might find out who you really are. Um, the lust here though, is not strictly a sexual language. If you go back and, and look, we're pretty early in Peter. Uh, he is using that as a term for all the pleasures and passions of the world. So gluttony is probably the better catch all word here. Uh, The gluttonous mindset, the hedonism, that's another good word, the search for pleasure of your former lusts, right? Uh, Don't conform to believing that you have to feel good today. That's what he just said. Uh, uh, So to take this and just beat yourself over the head with uh, sort of, I look at girls and sometimes have thoughts that imply my body wants their body um, to procreate uh, as animals do, like, that's not quite what it's talking about here. Now, Jesus does talk that way. Jesus talks that way in the Sermon on the Mount, where he says, if you look at a woman lustfully, you've already committed adultery with her in your heart. Is he doing that so that we will now go and try to live that way? Like, to actually stop? No. What, what The whole point of that diagnostic in the Sermon on the Mount is to show us that you've got to cut out your eye, chop off your hand, lop off that other thing down below, and you're still going to hell, buddy. You're still going to hell. Because you can't clean the inside. You can't. What he can do is put another counselor inside with you to fight back against you. Which is why you come to a text on lust and you do care about not, well, falling prey to those harlots that put themselves out into uh, addictive material that you can scroll through. Call it what it is. So it's out there to attack you personally. Yeah, sure, fine. Every man out there has got to deal with this. I've already said the best thing to do is start unplugging from anywhere it could come in. Uh, but realize that's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about that in our entire life, what we want to do is resist that mindset that, that frankly, the TV is always telling us to have. One way or the other, very subtly, usually. It doesn't tell it to you to your face. It just shows you it. And you imitate it. Uh, did anybody read 1984? I mean, golly, I'm not even sure it's even like kind of not true. I I mean, sure, the governmental stuff may not be, but the the friends on the wall, I mean, friends on the wall. I mean, anyway, anyway. So not conforming yourself to the worldly mindset here, which would begin by recognizing your animal lusts are your original sin that's covered in Jesus. And so now what you're going to do is keep that animal lust, gluttony, hedonism, whatever it is, doesn't have to be sex, keep that from getting out. Don't think you're going to stop it from happening. You're not going to stop being a human. Your flesh, your old man, that voice in your head that yells at you, the cynic, he is with you till you die, around your neck, crotchety, nasty, unshaven, unwashed. And all he's going to do is spice you into the grave because he wants to do is convince you that you're not a Christian. At the end of the day, that's the goal of the inner hate and your flesh, is to convince you that you're not a Christian. Which is why when you come to these texts and it says, don't conform yourself to the former lusts, it means, remember, your hope is not in you. Your hope is in Jesus and his revelation as he returns. And to, as a sober, repentance is a dish best served cold. As a sober-minded person, set your hope in the present on his impending future return. And work to not conform yourself to the lust. When the lust, the temptations, the struggles, the trials, the, the, the need to go buy something, the need to go eat something, when it comes up, do not conform yourself to it. Now, again, easier said than done with addictive things. So please, you can beat yourself up over the failure. The point is not that you're going to not conform yourself and therefore be holy. The point is your desire to not conform yourself at all is the holiness. It's already here. Believe in it. Be glad that you want to not conform with the world. He who calls you is holy, and he's making you holy. He's making you want to change your conduct. This is not your condemnation. This is the Spirit inspiring you to see. Now, it will help to remember that holiness and righteousness are not the same thing. Righteousness is a matter of what you do. Holiness is a matter of who or where you are. They go together who or where you are. And so because Christ is holy and you are holy with him, that is, you are his new creation, manifestation, back in time into the present today for the sake of the future of all, that holiness, he wants you to believe in and then act accordingly. It helps to remember that you're a child of another age it helps to remember that you may as well be an alien walking among zombies use whatever category you got to use to make holy not be the thing you were trying to get to but the thing you've been declared and so now that you're declared it and you know what it should look like want to look like that and the spirit within you will And you're like, oh, but I don't. And then you're going to get forgiven and hear about Jesus being risen from the dead. And as a diet of life, you will rise from the dead on that diet. It doesn't mean you're going to get to the end of it and stop and be great. No, 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 no. There's too much complexity in this world. I mean, so much of your sin is tied to the external environment and what what things happen to you. So stop trying to get somewhere. You're here. Hi. Welcome to today. Breathe. I mean it. You're, you're here, you're here, you're holy, because Jesus Christ is holy, so when you find the lusts of your former ignorance, take a note about how you don't want to be that way anymore, move on, <laughs> you know, and then believe that over time Jesus is going to answer these prayers, it's a prayer, right, make it a prayer, be holy for I am holy. I mean, hear that as gospel too. That's a declaration. It means that when you fall, you will rise up. Uh, he's, he did not die on the cross to test you and trick you out. He died so when you fall, you'll know you're just being tempered and you're meant to get back up again. In fact, you can't not because you've eaten his flesh and blood. So he's going to raise you up in the last day, even if you'll pray down today. yeah. Oh, goodness. So you think you must be obedient, but you can't be fully. Well, yeah, not if you're going to go on a scale. You're on a justification scale. I don't, it doesn't matter what language you use, Right. Uh, I believe in broken is it if we can just knows moralism, moralism, chapter on moralism, right in broken, get a, get a copy of broken from amazon.com. It is my bestseller though. It does not deserve to be, I'll tell you that it does not deserve to be, but it ain't terrible. It ain't terrible. I think, uh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, yeah. Former lust become your current lust. I would expect that to happen. I would expect it to happen. Uh, what goes in sticks around for quite a while, you know, <laughs> and whatever you've seen, uh, if you don't have time to process it, just expect it to continue to come at you. And I, I'm going to tell you, The color red is used on your computers to make you touch things and go places. And over time, it can become fully associated as a trigger point for pornographic use. So that, indeed, the color red on a screen anywhere can trigger your habit. Now, your habit needs to be remembered this way. Fight it like this. Think, as soon as you're like, oh my goodness, I want to look at porn. I'm so weak. I can never do it. I can't stop. I don't know how to stop. I'm a slave, right? Okay, so you know that feeling. right? It's happening. In that moment, say, I am having an emotional flashback. Just say that. Just say that. And then say, I am strong enough to control my body. Say, I know who I am in Jesus Christ. Now, am I guaranteeing you that will stop your porn addiction? No. What will stop your porn addiction is divorcing yourself from the internet. It'll cold turkey. You'll be done. Okay. However, if you do that, my guess is it will stop your porn addiction eventually. But you got to keep doing that. Even when you fall, this is it. You find yourself being unholy, get up. Be holy again because you're declared holy. You know how this the, you know the story about the prodigal son, right? He's out with the he's out with the the pigs and the harlots. Huh? um Jesus tells that story so you will know what your flesh is. This is not you left it behind and now you're great. This is the man that's going to die with your name. But there's two epistemologies at work. Huh? There's also a man with your name baptized into Jesus Christ. And that spirit-inspired man well, is at war and should hear, gird up your loins, it's like... There's a war talk. It's a war talk right there, yeah? Cafe Solis says this. Uh, chicken timer here fast. Uh, favor is often abused by some Christians. How do they use it wrongly and how, as Lutherans, should we rightly think of it and use it? Can we rightly pray that God will have favor on someone? You know, Chris, uh, a Cafe, I'm, I'm not as... Um, familiar with this language so i'm not sure like there's a narrow definition here that i don't know but i mean grace and favor go together when you're trying to translate the various greek or hebrew words that have to do with compassion or charity our words in english don't none of them really quite do what these other words do and so you have a number of attempts like favor uh that come out as an as a english uh, effectuals, uh, perlocutions—I don't know what to call it. Um, but then I don't know where it's coming from. And if someone's dogmatizing the word favor, I've, I've not seen that before. I mean, I, my inclination is to think that if you're praying for someone to have God's favor, you're praying. That's like saying I'm praying for God to bless them. And I mean, Thy will be done. Uh, you know, that's that's okay. Uh, you know, Lord Jesus, may I please have a nice day today? I mean, I don't, I don't think that's wrong. Lord, give me your favor is, uh, in, in one sense, in a very beautiful biblical way, uh, of praying for yourself, or your neighbor. Um, but I, my guess is based, cause I know who you are. I I know there's more to this question. And so I don't know. I don't know. You'll have to, you'll have to give me another question on it. That, uh, that tells me more narrow example. I, I have given up on learning from the internet. And so I'm not up to date anymore. If you're coming to me because you know, you want to know what the latest, uh, Evangelical Christian thing is yeah, Roseboro, Roseboro's your man. Roseboro's your man. Alright, stick with the pirate. I, Ninja, have gone into my dojo to hide. Yes. So, oh that wasn't Russian. Uh, Barbara says this if since someone has rejected Jesus Christianity, can that person repent and return? I like this question too. Um, as the question is constructed, if I'm gonna be narrow and nitpicky. The answer is no, because a person who is a sinner cannot repent and return to Christ. However, a person who is a sinner who is called to repentance by Jesus Christ, who, through no power of their own, hears his call, well, that's how all of us are saved. So, like, yes, it happens to those who fall away, or at least we Lutherans confess as much, And I've yet to see anyone convince me. Otherwise, I've I've looked at the scriptures pretty hard. uh, And there are people like David who, (laughs) I mean, it looked like he was going to hell at one point. Uh, You you are that man. Uh, But his his heart at that point is inspired again. He had a heart that was inspired by God's word, even if that word is condemnation. And he's believed it, believed it. Whenever God spoke, he believed it. So um, is it possible for someone to fall away and come back? Yeah, I think so. trying to create an order of salvation in your head that has like a place where you're saved and a place where you're not saved. This is again, like modern thinking we're trying to scientifically dissect a spiritual reality that's unseen. And which Jesus says, you won't know where it blows or where it comes from. (laughs) So, so like, like trying to get too narrow on when and where someone's in and out, especially for your own conscience. It's just like, it's kind of like hypochondriac Christianity a little bit, you know? Uh, so More important is to see that Jesus' message of salvation is for everybody, the whole planet, the whole cosmos, everything that has breath. And that's a pretty important phrase. Um, It's for everybody that has breath. And then there are some who don't believe this. And there are some who believe this and fall away. And there are some who repent. Convert and believe us who fell away or never fell away. You're in the same state. Although, I mean, Jesus does say the last state is worse than the first if you come and go and don't come back. So this is where infant baptism by drive-by is maybe not a great idea, in my opinion. But, 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 you know, uh, where can I point you to this? I mean, the, the text that people point you to say this isn't possible is Hebrews 6, which is a <laughs> a very elongated text that also is about the public, the body, the group. It's 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 in a public section uh, a you plural section uh, if I recall and uh, so that's where people will go for this but like everything else in scripture is like the other way around like what are we supposed to do repent and believe the good news right so in one sense the Lutheran position is maybe better understood if we just recognize that when I get up in the morning every every morning I wake up I'm, I'm kind of not a Christian till I remember I'm a Christian like in terms of practical action right like what I'm doing who I am who I know I am as epistemologically I'm under the law. Okay. Until I am put under the gospel by some reminder that I'm under the gospel. Uh, this is why having morning Psalms or a crucifix on the wall. I mean, these are really helpful things. What happens with that preaching, be, be it symbol or otherwise, is it awakens the word that's already in you that you've believed before and you repent, right? You're, oh yeah. I'm a Christian today. Oh, that's right. I'm going to live as if the resurrect tomorrow could be the end of the world. Like those things can happen, but they're not natively in you. Like the moment you wake up, right? well, think of that as repentance and then just see that there are people who are so far away that they they can't have any of it right so it's more about like again how close are you to Jesus are you in the proximity or not and recognizing you can get all the way up to taking the supper and still have it damn you and yet repentance only happens by getting closer and closer to Jesus and the word coming out and grabbing you and and we're not given to be that judge don't try to judge don't try to judge the heart really it, it is it is not worth it we have uh we have a bunch left here. Um, let's see here. Some super chats. We have a bunch left. I just don't want you to leave. And I know if I go to a uh, break, some of you will leave. So stick around. Brian says this. Uh, Brian says, should I be concerned with people who claim to be Christian but uh, do not pray, go to a pastor, repent? I keep thinking of James 2.19 uh, when I think of these people in regards to their faith. Right. Well, this is like on that question about I don't have to go to church to be a, be a Christian thing. Do not pray. Oh, man. Uh, Brian, you're hitting me. You're hitting me. So, I I, one of the things I realized and repented of in this last year was the lack of prayer life, the lack of a habit of prayer life in my life. And you know, to be fair, I had been making efforts to say the Small Catechism, just Ten Commandments Creed, and Lord's Prayer ever since I started writing Echo, which was you know four or five years ago. So you know, it wasn't like I wasn't doing anything, but the idea that I find most hitting me when I try to like pray at length, that is open the Psalter and read more than what I've agreed to read today that I can do. when I read a little more, and just spend some time praying. I hear it. I don't have time for that. I hear it. I don't have time for that. And, and the crunch for time and the lack of prayer in the modern world, I'm not ready to say that everyone's not a Christian now, but I think they should see that they're about to not be or their kids won't be again, right? Like, like if you're not praying, um, then why would you expect God to keep the church around? <laughs> and, and look, look what's happening, right? And, and this is with all the apologetics and the fighting and the money and all the things we've poured into 50 years of trying to save the culture. And I got to wonder, Brian, uh, prayer, are we, are we doing drive-bys with the prayer too? It's like, you know, I'll throw one up there. I'll do, I'm going to pray real quick. I've, I've catch myself saying that at dinner. Let's pray real quick. I mean, really, God, I mean I of all the shameful things to do, like I got shame I carry, but that's a shameful thing. Let's pray real quick. Yeah, go to a pastor. again, here though, also, all these things are so complex, right? Um, so many people have been burned by pastors, including pastors. Cheers. <laughs> I mentioned how I haven't been absolved you know, in, what, a couple of months since a <clears throat> public absolution uh, in a, at a circuit. Uh, I'd love to go to a private absolution. Uh, I've done it in the past. It's, it's part of our tradition. Um, it just gets harder and harder to trust a guy. <laughs> I know things are so rough. Everyone's so fractured and divided. And so, like, how do you go to a pastor when you just don't know if that pastor's a wolf? And when the wolf could just be someone who's afraid and running in panic because that's what everyone's doing right now. And then repenting. I mean, like the thing here is like, what does that mean? Right. But you're right. There's, there's a, there's a Darth of repentant living in American Christianity because we're trying to love mammon and the world at the same time. And so we can't really see a lot of repentance. And what we see instead is a lot of people afraid of things getting worse, which they are. Um, uh, James two nineteen. I, I, I don't have that one memorized by verse. Um, but I think the idea here again James 2 context, the argument about works versus faith is a bit of a red herring by the devil with the wrong answer to distract us from the greater reality of the right answer. So, I mean, obviously salvation is through faith because deliverance is of Jesus Christ, but that's the real argument when you're arguing that, Salvations by works. You're arguing deliverance is not by Jesus Christ. So, so the way I see this, again, is that if we can just understand the arguments as they were, don't, don't say that they aren't like valid, defensible posts in historical philosophy. But right now, what do we need to do? We need to stop arguing about whether James says we should be saved by faith or works because he's not talking about that. He's not talking about salvation as something we're going to have to do. He's talking about it as something that is already done. And the fact is, when you believe that Christ is risen from the dead, you don't like your sin. You hate your sin. Even when you do it, you're like, shame on me. And then unless someone's helping you absolve yourself out of it, you can run off and just create more torment for yourself. You can just lose the faith. And that happens as, you know, lack of repentance, lack of prayer, won't go to a pastor who you trust because the shepherds have been fleecing themselves on the sheep, right? Uh, So I, I hear you, Brian. I hear you. Um, I, I don't know uh, again that last the last point if I'd go quite as far um, we got another super chat from f7 d g j a thank you for uh, for that and the, the marvelous acronym that you've come up with there. Uh, and I know I saw one earlier. one. Wow, a lot of commentary today. Good job, good job guys. Way to talk. Uh, Night Anakin Kringerucker says this, uh, Resting in the grave or beating demon butts to free the prophets. Zechariah nine eleven blood oath, cool stuff. Uh, I'll, I'll leave that for uh, somewhere else in the Discord. Um, but certainly, the prayers of the saints are heard under the altar in Revelation, right? And so there's something going on. The warfare uh, is, well, it is ended by faith and yet the watching, the watching, I don't know. I don't know how the watching works for us humans uh, in that interim state. And again, we'll leave that for another time. we got 15 minutes left here. And I think, ah, I want to try to congeal some thoughts here just to close this morning. And I don't even know, you know, this is great TV. So if, if you're, if you're just bored, stick around, but this isn't as, as prepared. Um, but you know it's, it's Easter Vigil. It's as I started. It's it's Holy Week. Last year, we had on this day and on Sunday, I did private family divine services, ten minutes to twelve minutes each. Um, last weekend it was outside. This weekend, last year, uh, was inside, as we were in the peak of the shutdown. Uh, we everyone everyone at that point was just trusting our leaders, right? And uh, God it makes me sad. Um, it's been a year since that and we've had a full holy week schedule Uh, we have been asking our people to make their own decisions with regard to risk assessment various types of unseen things that could kill you Uh, you decide and uh, we've had great attendance it's just been a beautiful thing the singing has been out of this world, really. We've been very blessed with a local musician recently and uh, just elevating uh, some of the the real uh, texts of these songs. Um, And uh, so tonight, again, I just see this entire time right now as a moment to grab hold again. So if last year was the hiccup that nobody expected, the black swan that fractured us, that took away the we, that, for my part, was the United States of America. It's just there's no we there, <laughs> oh, I can't believe I ever believed it um yeah but but anyway, you know, emperor's clothes and all that um take away that, believe in its place a we that is so big and so complete that again, what I said earlier about the local we, the local selves um will benefit from this greater reality that that can't be interrupted or fractured or taken away from us and and this is uh the roman christian catholic faith uh by roman though i mean romans chapter eight (laughs) and uh so just i'm just letting you in on this i i don't know where i'm going to use this i think it's mostly for local work but i've decided i'm more or less going to introduce myself in all public sales pitches as a roman eights as a Romans 8 Catholic. I'm not going to talk about being Lutheran. It'll be on the sign. I'm not going to take it off anything. I'm just going to talk about being a Romans 8 Catholic. I did it two days ago. We had a a lady come as she was helping someone else in the congregation in a professional capacity and she came from on a Thursday daytime service and she saw the supper. She said, I'm a Catholic. I'd like the supper. And I wasn't even ready for this conversation, but it came right out. I said, well, we're Romans 8 Catholics. What that means is that the Pope has excommunicated us for believing in Romans eight. And so until that's resolved, we're kind of stuck here. And I would want to talk with you more about your joining us, you know, before you did, she was like, Oh, (laughs) Uh, it's, it's, it's actually pretty clean. Uh, so put that one in your apologetics and start working with it. A Romans eight Catholic. Uh, that's what Lutheranism is. And, and, in this then also, I, if you've heard me talk about this other places, I am just so convicted by this right now. I am absolutely convicted that the moment Lutheranism decides to be Lutheranism, the moment we set down and we're like, okay, we're going to be our own church, we're done. It's not immediate. It's like two generations, but we're done. We, we, we pit her out because the reason we exist is to reform, reform the Roman Catholic Church that should be how we unify. It should be what we do is why saying the Pope is the Antichrist is the most unifying thing we can do. And that what we really want to do is convince other Roman Catholics to join us and take back the church. Why not? I mean, it, unless Jesus is coming back, but like how much time we got and why not? What, what are you doing? Playing video games. Come on. It sounds, it sounds real. Maybe we can get that castle first and then we'll have the secret passage and then we can like, like talk through the secret passage and convince them. I mean, that's silly, right? But the, the, I don't think the the Romans eight Catholic idea is silly at all. I think it is something to rejuvenate those who would confess Augsburg, those who would hold to the symbol of Luther's catecheo, uh to, to see that our path to the future is we are the Romans 8 Catholics. We've been excommunicated for believing Romans 8, and we'd like the church to repent and believe it. Uh, we can add a little Romans 4 and 5 in there too for fun, but really it's, it shouldn't be that tough, I don't think. I re- they're so hurting for priests right now. We should be able to take the whole church body in as married priests with the Book of Concord. Hey, we're here to help. Yeah, that's maybe a little far off. Maybe a little far off. But you hear what I'm saying? Uh, it, it, you don't go in and give up anything. You you go in and you take it all. <laughs> Romans 8 Catholic. Pray on that one for a little bit with me and, and, and ponder it. I mean, the idea is the book of the Romans. The whole book is written to the church at Rome. There's some irony there. There's some irony there. And, and then the more that I meet Roman Catholics out there, they don't know what the Pope teaches. Yeah, I mean, most of them don't know. They have no idea. But they know what the Lord's Supper is and they know what a crucifix is. And they could really like what you say if you just quote Romans 8, I think. I'm, I'm just suggesting. I'm just suggesting. So, um. oh, hey, here we go. That's a good question right from the side. Uh, Cafe Sola throws this one. And can you briefly explain the true casino you mentioned in a brief history power with two white guys for those who have yet to listen to that podcast? Okay, so what's the casino? We need like a Wikipedia page like designated to our linguistics because I'm throwing Skynet and the Matrix out there. Zombies. I mean, these are... These are Terms that are kind of becoming dogmatized in my vernacular. Um, So the casino is one of them. So I'll throw that out there like, oh yeah, it's life in the casino. It's pretty simple idea, but then it also starts to apply like culturally, like you can start to microcosm the analogy and it, it continues to work as an analogy really good. But the initial analogy is, is very, very small. And it's, it's basically that immigrating to the new world now, particularly the United States of America, although Brazil would probably fall in this category. Um, Canada, uh, that immigrating to the new world is like moving into a casino where instead of putting coins in a slot machine, each coin in a slot machine is each person in your family buying real estate. And you keep hoping that by doing that you will have the opportunity to live here where it's expensive to live and make even more money so you can live somewhere else, like the penthouse in the casino, as opposed to uh, the slums, suburbs of the casino. So if you could just see that that financial game has been going on, or you just don't say it this way ponder for a moment that that's a financial game that's been going on since before the Revolutionary War. And then, Brief History of Power is like, the history of it (laughs) and what it does. You can get offended by it if you want to. Uh, what it does is it helps you see how the powers that be are really moving things. And it can also help you set a path and a trajectory for not being the old person in the casino, uh, not being the person who thought that it was all about buying a house that your kids don't even want. (laughs) Uh, you know, what, what do you leave to the one uh, who comes after you and all that? So, um, so I find this really helpful. So it's, it's a crapshoot. America is a crapshoot. You're going to buy some land and hopefully while you own that land, it gets valuable. And then you sell that land and you move to other land because none of the land is going to remain valuable for those who are in debt, for those who are not in debt, who can use people who are in debt to colonize the land and then afford to move them off the land by large scale generationally squeezing certain areas so that the price drops. So the area becomes valuable again. So it can be rebought and reinvested in. I would say Baltimore is probably going to have that happen on some level in the next hundred years because it's so valuable as a property right there on the Eastern seaboard, unless that place all gets blown up you know, by a bomb, but but that's not the games. The casino's not, not based upon the assumption that someone's going to first strike the U S like the casino is based upon the assumption that the U S federal reserve does not go bankrupt ever and that uh, we can keep moving immigration through America, so that whoever ends up as a slave populace doesn't know it and is happy to watch TV as their drug, and continue fostering uh, the land development until there is no more, and we move them off somewhere else again to slums and whatnot. Again, this is like a, a super broad brush description of like a socio-economic cultural phenomena of hundreds of years. So please, uh, don't don't get too narrow in your your pigeon holding me. Um, but the idea, again, I think it helps as a metaphor begin giving you the power to decide not to be what they sold. When you realize what they're selling you, I mean, you ever go to a casino? Look at all the, um, I, I, I'm trying to be nice. Uh, look at all the retired people taking income from places where they don't provide anything which is interesting that's like the promise right you get to live and not provide and so what do you do you go and you sip alcohol and you don't even pull a slot machine because the screen's more addictive so you push the button on the screen to see if the numbers will give you some more coins um, oh that's that's when you buy houses and sell them that's when you buy houses and sell them and it, it, not just houses land And so what you want to do is what the casino won't let you do. It doesn't want you to do, but you you can't happen. this can't happen in a casino. But can you imagine like you just pick up the machine and take it (laughs) like they'd shoot you. Right. But what, how do you do that in the American casino, casino, the land game? You own the land. You stay. It takes more than a generation to do this. You have to convince your kids that what you're doing is valuable and will help them and their kids. That's a brief history of power to white guys. Yeah. So you should listen to that. You should probably also, if you should. Would you like to support me on patreon? I had a really cool thing happen this last month. I've had a really good donor who's been super supportive for two years with a significant monthly donation no 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 excuse me, per podcast donation to the show and uh, he let me know like a month a month ago that you know he's time to go and put that money somewhere else. Uh, he feels like he's helped me get started where he is and like uh, on he goes thank you very much, sir. absolutely like that There's no 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 ill will there. but what's really cool? is that the number of you that joined Patreon this month absolutely and perfectly balanced it so that whereas there was a loss, there was a gain of $5 positive. <laughs> so if you want to keep helping this go on. I lose support regularly as people move on to other stuff and that's that's good. That's how this works but that's why I need you who are benefiting today to consider supporting the show. You can do that for small potatoes. You can do that for large potatoes. Uh, it's all done through Patreon at the moment and uh, if you want something more reach out to me through reffist.com slash contact. That's always a possibility but on Patreon it just charges you every week for the show. I actually, charge you once a month for the show build per week, and it uh, makes makes the world go round. Mad Mondays, brief history of power, Saturday morning chill, preach sermons, podcast stations, and and hopefully, if I ever if I ever find myself, uh, we'll, we'll get back into. Uh I'll stream streamline this thing a little bit. The uh, The Mad Christian Discord channel corners have gotten awful, awful convoluted. I'm curious what will happen if I dig over there. I haven't dug for a while. You know, how many of those we need to move away. So, But you can join the Mad Christian Discord. Us the Chill, you got to look for it that way. It's a great place to hang out with those who want to believe in the Bible, realize we live in the dystopia, realize the Internet probably isn't where we spend most of our time, but we like getting some good information when we can, and we like being with people who think deeply, read, and Maybe edit before they post. Yeah, um, that, that's the place. That's what we are. So uh, consider heading over there. Patreon, but, 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 but I hate everything else. Mad Mondays. Mad Mondays is the email you want to get. It gets in your email box every Monday morning. I will say something to you that I think you need to hear. And the reason is because I needed to hear it. And then our <laughs> our crack team of amazing journalists there's like 500 of these people working actually there's one she's amazing she provides a summary of the entire world including deep dives into things that you really want to know about bad monday is giving you your christian news for an age in dystopia you can sign up for free at com slash newsletter and i almost made it sound like someone paid me to write that and say it except well you did if you went to patreon there you go all right so anything else i gotta tell you about uh, all the sales pitches I'm supposed to sell something what is it um on issues <laughs> I don't need to talk about mad Mondays on issues but I am on issues et cetera again if you haven't found that uh, weekly looks like it'll normally be on Wednesdays uh, I'm doing a chapter of the proverbs uh, and that is a that's a blast that's a joy to be back in that in that arena uh, and to, uh, hold forth uh, I feel like uh, it's it's really the element that I was made to be in in some ways so please check that out again if you if you haven't found that And I think that's it for today. I think that's it for today. Oh, goodness. Easter Vigil. Easter Vigil. He rested in the tomb. Pondering it. uh, The Gnostic, that is the disembodied mindset that modern media communications generate, genre 8, generation 8, in a community in a corporation, in a body of people, the one we have now, disembodied by our tie to stories like this one right here, that you're getting this from a a far away rather than a near, it makes it harder to reckon with things like the physical, corporal death of the incarnate God, man, Jesus Christ. that on this day, Everyone who believed in him up to this point was lost. It's the Sabbath. They can't work. can't do anything. They've got to have food. He's in the tomb. They're terrified. You're not. You're not. Why? Because well, you know. You know what they learned later and what became for them the kind of inspiration that carried them into lives of courageous death. Lives of courageous death. That's Christianity. That's the resurrection. It's not a do-over. It's a right now. (laughs) It's a right now. And it is to set your mind fully on that grace that will be delivered for your flesh to feel on the day of his revelation, on the day of his returning. But it's already here, the first resurrection, for your flesh to feel not in happiness, but actually getting mortified, getting beat down, getting, getting silenced. It's already here so that you might lift up your heads all the more as you see the day approaching and not wallow in the muck with those who have no hope. Catch you next time. Rock on. the dollar click the patreon link in the show notes to sign up pretty please <laughs>